0: This week's tribcast is sponsored by Since 1961, the Permian Basin Petroleum Association has been advocating for the safe and responsible development of the Permian Basin oil and natural gas resources. Find out more at pbpa.info. And Texas State Technical Colleges' money-back guarantee program reinforces our commitment to prepare and place highly skilled, technically competent students in the workforce. Learn more at tstc.edu.
1: Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for April 8th, 2022. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor for, of News and Politics at the Texas Tribune. And today I am joined by two Texas Tribune reporters, politics reporter James Badergon. Hey, James. Hello there. Hey, and education reporter Brian Lopez. Hey, Brian. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Thank you all both for joining us. Um, So... Today, it's been a busy week in Texas politics and during a time that's usually not too jam-packed. April, you know, used to be a slow month in the in the Texas political calendar, maybe not so much, at least this week. James, you were watching Governor Greg Abbott this week for a much-hyped border announcement in response to the Biden administration's plan repealing of Title 42, in which, uh, you know, migrants could be turned away at the border uh, for COVID reasons. There was a lot of kind of questions, speculation about what this announcement was going to be. Would it be DPS taking on the federal role of turning away or attempting to kind of remove migrants? Could it be something else? It turned out the, at least the headline, the the main kind of selling point for his plan was free bus rides to Washington, D.C., uh, tell us a little bit about this announcement uh, and and what Abbott had to say and what he will be doing uh, in his in his kind of new new latest response to to the Biden administration's immigration policies. Yeah, well, first,
2: uh, I think it has to be pointed out that I mean, first uh, the, the free bus rides is the story and headline that eventually came out, but it initially mm-hmm. started off as this very aggressive, um, you know, approach. Uh, to uh, responding to the proposed or planned end of Title 42. Um, In his comments before and during the press release, Governor Abbott said he had to take unprecedented action because of the federal government, particularly the Biden administration's inaction on uh, border security and on the number of migrants coming to our southern border. Um, And so initially, he sort of pitched it as, you know, there's going to be, State troopers and National Guard in riot gear at the border, waiting for any caravans to come across. And then, you know, since the Biden administration is, a, you know, making us suffer and making us deal with the consequences of this, we're actually going to bust them uh, to Washington, D.C. and drop them off at the U.S. Capitol so that they can deal with them. as no longer our problem. That was the sort of big bluster and aggressive Tactic that he pitched at the press conference uh, down on the border. But when his office came out with a press release a, f- a couple of hours later, it was a much more tame version of what he had announced. Uh, first of all, the program is voluntary. Um, secondly, it's not only charter buses, but also charter flights uh, that will be uh, used to take these migrants to DC. And the migrants have to have already been processed through uh, DHS um, and will have to uh, show DHS documents that they have already been processed. So it's much tamer than what he had initially pitched it as. Um, and it's not just us who were thinking that. I mean, it was also all the migrant uh, rights, immigrant rights groups that were sort of losing their heads about hey, I mean, the, what he had initially pitched this out, like they were going to put them on the bus and sort of just put them on the bus and take them over to, to Washington, D.C., which one, people were like, how is this not
0: kidnapping
2: or uh, false imprisonment or you know deprivation of liberty? But also, if you're arresting them for uh, state criminal charges, as Operation Lone Star has purported to do, then how do you get them Well, first of all, two questions. If you're trying to take them across state lines, how does that serve the purpose of having them, you know, face their charges in state court, one? And then two, if you are trying to get them across state lines, how does that even work? Because you don't really have any jurisdiction in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia all the states that you'd have to go through if you're trying to bust them through the you know, the, the Southeast United States. Um, so all these questions that were raised, but then the office came out and said, well, it's voluntary. And it was sort of just like a hush, hush, well, it's voluntary. And then people um, were very confused. It's a very different program from what he had pitched at the in- initial press conference. And it's not just immigrant rights groups that were confused by it. It's also people on Governor Abbott's right saying, well, is, is this a situation again where the governor has come out and beat his chest on an immigration issue or really any issue um, from the rights perspective. And then when the details are announced, it's actually much, much tamer than what he made it sound like. So it was a topsy-turvy day. I had a perfectly serviceable story ready to go out of five. And then we realized that it was a completely different story. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, this was like a a an interesting moment in our newsroom, right? I mean, we were we were out here talking before the the clarification came from Governor Abbott's office about kind of how could he possibly do this, right? Like how do you what kind of power does the governor have, does the state of Texas have to kind of require migrants to to leave Texas and go to Washington D.C., you know? There were as you as you mentioned. And actually I think Abbott said this on Fox News later like you know that would basically be kidnapping, right? Uh, right. The 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 federal government or, or the state government does not have the, the authority to kind of control people's movement like right. that across that,
2: state. That begs the question, though. If the governor knew that that would be the reaction, which it was from that press conference, that this is kidnapping and raises all these legal questions, why not clarify that? in the press conference that it was all voluntary. The word voluntary was never said during the press conference. It made it sound like they were going to be throwing these migrants Mm -hmm. into these buses and then you know, bussing them against their will to Washington DC. So it begs the question, why did the governor do that? I think the answer is what you just pointed to. He gets to go on Fox News and say, look at what I'm doing. Look how tough I am on border uh, security and on border immigration. Um, and it's, you know, it's not lost on anybody that this is an electoral year, um, and that whenever it's an election year, he usually, you know, uh, he usually starts highlighting immigration. I mean, it was the same thing in 2017 when the sanctuary cities legislation passed, it was ahead of, a uh, of an electoral year. Um, so, I mean, I think that raises a lot of questions. Um, I think it's concerning for, um, the people of Texas that, that is how the governor chooses to govern and to um, roll out these these very important announcements, which maybe maybe will have legal challenges against them and um, are, at the end of the day, costing them uh, their taxpayer money. That's how we're paying for this, through Texas taxpayer money.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you know, I'll I'll read a a tweet from Governor Abbott from yesterday, he said, President Biden refuses to come to the southern border to see the chaos he has created. So we're taking the border to him, Texas will be transporting illegal immigrants to the US Capitol, end quote there. I mean, basically, this, you know, he kind of continues to talk about it in this way, where like, when you get down into the actual details, it's, it's kind of a different situation, but, you know, this gives him an opportunity, it seems like, to, you know, well, I'm looking at this tweet right now, it has, you know, over 9,000 retweets, it's, it's gotten a wide yeah. kind of distribution yeah. and everything and talk tough. And a lot of folks will see that and not look into the details. I I wish everyone in the state would read your article, James, just like I wish they'd read all our articles. Well, so do I. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's
2: this is a a thing that happens with the government. I mean, he has a very sophisticated um, communications team, which completely bypasses traditional media that like like ourselves, like the other major states and uh, major newspapers in the state who cover these issues and have valid questions about how this would work. Um, he sort of sidesteps them, uh, does this, goes on Fox News. We publicly asked for an interview after he gave a you know 18-minute interview to Breitbart, um, and he, he his, his, um, his spokesperson publicly uh, gave us a no, um, which is fine if they want to. I mean, if that's their approach that they don't want to give us, that they're not giving, they don't have time to give news outlets interviews to clarify very important questions that have to do with you know, taxpayer money and also uh, Texas policy, but it's not, he's very clearly picking and choosing where he goes. If he's giving Breitbart 18 minute interviews, if he's constantly on Fox News, Um, I think that's, it's it's harmful. It's harmful, I think, um, for, for the, you know, the public and the way that they get their information.
1: You know, the other thing that just really strikes me about this is that I have this vivid memory from earlier this year, looking at a tweet from a Fox News reporter um, showing video from outside a bus station in Brownsville, where a bunch of migrants had been released to get on buses to travel throughout the country to their kind of final destination. And this grabbed the attention of many, many state officials who were very, very upset and kind of arguing that this was kind of a dereliction of, you you know, President Biden's duty, uh, you know, to, quote unquote, secure our borders or protect our borders and, and all those kinds of things. And and now basically, I mean, now basically Texas is providing the buses, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is it is like, I mean, part of what I was struck from your article on this is that, you know, this is something that some people who have advocated for for migrants in this country have been supportive of kind of helping them, sure. you know, get to their desired destination. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's are, just an interesting thing.
2: The irony was not lost on people. Yeah, because basically, and I think currently, if if asylum seekers want to go to D.C. or they have to pay for their own buses, they have to pay for their own airfare. Now we're saying, hey, if you show up in Texas, you basically get a get a free bus ride to D.C. So the irony was not lost on immigrants rights groups, on Uh, you know, lawyers and um, advocates for asylum seekers that, hey, actually, this is what we've been asking for all along. And this is the kind of like uh, state government, NGO, uh, federal government cooperation that we would actually like to see. Um, You know, Denise Gilman, the uh, co-director of the immigration clinic law at UT School of Law, um, mentioned that, you know, there's There's a huge Salvadoran population in the DMV area um, in in d c. And if you're a Salvadoran migrant coming to the Texas border, sure, you'll take that ride, get you to your destination where you were going to anyway. Um, but another point too, is that um, you know there there is, I think we have to point out that the Biden administration, there is the question mark of where are they? Um, and what are they doing um, to try to um, control um, or deal with the number of migrants that there are at our Southern border, which is uh, you know, incredibly high. I mean, there's there's just, no, there's just no questioning that. But I think the question is, and it's a valid question by the governor. It's a valid question by news organizations. It's a valid question by even some South Texas Democrats. What is the Biden administration doing? Which they have to answer for. But the question for the governor is, how productive are you being with the tactics that you're taking? Um, Because again, they're being paid by state tax dollars. And sometimes they're in contradiction to what CBP and DHS is doing at the border. But other times they're just duplicative um, of what CBP and DHS are doing at the border, like this vehicle inspection thing that he also announced on Wednesday. And so, you know, you have to ask the question of what is the ultimate end goal here? Is the ultimate end goal to really um, deal with the situation at hand, um, which there is no indication from the numbers that we see from Border Patrol that that Operation Lone Star, as this mission is called, has helped the numbers of migrants at our southern border and go down, or is the Overall end goal, again, to beef up uh, the governor's uh, conservative bona fides in an election year. And if if you look at it from that perspective, then clearly the mission and again our tax taxpayer dollars are
1: are serving their purpose. Then, well, and you, I mean, you mentioned taxpayer dollars. Another article that you published this week. Featured the uh, head of the Texas military department telling lawmakers that they need an additional an additional five hundred and thirty one million dollars to continue that Operation Lone Star mission past this month. So this is, I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And uh, I think we're nearly four
2: billion dollars. Yeah, I think we're nearly four four billion dollars uh, that have been appropriated for this, and now they're asking for another half billion dollars. And you know, we as our friends in ProPublica wrote earlier this month: um, the statistics do not back any success. We can't really tell what the return on our investment has been, and the statistics that the governor's office has provided are essentially cooked. They're they're misleading statistics.
1: James, you mentioned also the uh, the stopping of trucks. There were a few other measures announced by Abbott this week. Can you? tell us what else he he kind of added to his border enforcement efforts
2: right well the big one that i'm watching is the inspection of commercial vehicles those are the 18 wheelers trailers that are coming across the border uh mostly in laredo that's the biggest inland port um along the u.s mexico border and i think the third largest port in the entire country um but also in uh, McAllen, el paso uh, donna uh all these places in south texas and el paso and west texas obviously um but that is a juggernaut for our economy you know um and mexico is our number one trading partner we do hundreds of billions of dollars of trade with them and so slowing down trucks and trailers um and if you're going to try to inspect every single commercial vehicle as uh dps director steven macross said that's gonna, that's gonna lead to considerable wait times at the border, which will um, lead to more problems with our already struggling supply chain, which could impact our economy. Um, a lot of produce goes through um, South Texas into Texas from Mexico. And so that could harm food prices, but also could harm just the logistics chain of, you know, a lot of car vehicles also roll through back and forth um, to and from Mexico uh, with the way our manufacturing is set up after NAFTA um, could have a, a severe impact on not just Texas' economy, but the entire country. Uh, but also particularly on the, I mean, it, there's entire hubs of manufacturing and logistics companies that are set up along South Texas and El Paso. Um, and those could be really hard. So really looking closely at that. The other things are, um, um, you know, more more, uh, more tactics for the National Guard and for DPS to be able to deter migrants. Uh, like I said, they're, they're going to be provided riot gear, I believe, in case there are any uh, big caravans like what we saw from the Haitian migrants last September. Um, they, there will also be concertina wire placed in high traffic areas Um, uh, of the river and low crossing areas to sort of deter migrants from coming. Um, Also, boat blockades uh, and um, the uh, container blockades that we saw last year in Eagle Pass, the sort of, what was it called, the steel curtain or whatever that was. Um, Expect to see more of that. Um, The boat blockades, they've sent out some pictures of it. It Looks looks kind of funny. Looks like you're sort of floating the San Marcos River, but it's neither here nor there. (laughs)
1: You can tube and you can uh, can protect the border at the same time. Sounds like a pretty great assignment. Uh, Yeah, you know, we also saw some video uh, from that actual, that same Fox News reporter as well of uh, the National Guard conducting kind of uh, riot uh, response exercises down by the border Uh, that, that seemed to be happening yesterday. So it seems as though those measures that Abbott has announced you know, went into effect pretty quickly. They've gone into effect immediately, say.
2: right? Yeah, they've already done National Guard, the, the training exercise, yes. And they've also, the uh, the inspection of vehicles, the commercial vehicles at the border. of that's also gone into effect already. I've already heard from some people in some areas that are saying it's it's, it's taking hours now um, to get past those, uh, past the ports of
1: entry. All right. Okay, thanks James. Uh, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors.
0: Lone Star College plays a key role in developing a skilled workforce to keep the Texas economy strong. Find out more at lonestar.edu. And Texas Association of School Business Officials. Search our new job board for Texas educators or list K-12 education jobs for free at jobs.tasbo.org.
1: All right, so I'm going to begin the second segment with by reading from an email from uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. This is about uh, the uh, Disney are, you know, um, up until recently, a favorite company of, of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He says in this email to supporters, until they change their corporate philosophy, stop spending money with them. Cut off the Disney Channel. Cancel your park trip or your cruise if one is planned. If you own Disney stock, sell it. Although I did not own many shares of individual Disney stock, I sold them today. And then dot, dot, dot. I know your kids and grandchildren will be disappointed and may not understand. Would you rather them be indoctrinated by Disney radicals? I just got back from Disney about a month ago. If I had known how they would respond to the Florida law, and if I had seen those videos, they would not have gotten one penny from me. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, very upset at Disney, the subject line in that email, Disney in all caps and an exclamation point. But the big news coming out of this email, Brian, was a piece of legislation that he'll be making a priority. Tell us about that legislation, where it came from, what it means.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, So like you mentioned, Dan Patrick went on, has declared war on Disney, um, and with that, uh, he wants to uh, mimic the recently signed Florida uh, bill. Um, it was recently signed into law, and it's commonly known and referred to as the "don't get, don't say gay" law. Um, and basically, you know, the Florida is under fire for this, um, and Disney is one of those companies that has. Uh, been caught in this war Um, and basically what this what this law says is you know it prohibits classroom lessons on sexual orientation or gender identity uh, for kids below the fourth grade Um, and you know as we've seen with uh, a lot of this it's it's become a um, a national um, kind of playbook kind of plan for a lot of um, conservatives to uh kind of rally up their base and, and pass legislation that um they think um it is going to uh, i guess uh, derail uh, the woke uh agenda as they are are calling it um so you know The next legislative session doesn't start until um, January 2023, but before then, uh, there's going to be discussions about how to implement this this law in Texas uh, during the Education Committee hearings at the state level. Uh, So I think that's what we're going to be kind of waiting for to see, like, what exactly something like this looks in Texas. Um, But, you know, it's important to know, um, you know, education uh, experts, public education advocates are saying, you know, Nobody talks about sexual orientation or gender identity in K through three right now, anyway. So this just seems as a way to harm uh, LGBTQ families and kids. And um, you know, they're saying it's like an ulterior motive uh, to not have these conversations about um, uh, LGBTQ individuals um, and their families. So you know, this is what we're we're kind of going to see how this kind of plays out. Um, it definitely falls in line and for what we've been seeing over the last year here in texas you know when we're talking about um first with the you know the so-called critical race theory law here and then you know the the ban on books that have you know lgbtq content in it um it certainly falls in line in in in, in this kind of thread that um texan republicans are kind of pulling from and, and trying to play out here so that's the like the current situation and and We'll really have to see what, you know, how this is going to be a thing here in Texas.
1: Yeah, the the parallels to the bathroom bill fight in 2017 are like really striking to me here because, um, you know, what what many people forget is that it's a similar kind of law had been passed in North Carolina and in the run up to that case there was a very strong reaction from the business community there a lot of outrage a lot of people wanting to boycott you know travel to North Carolina and everything like that and then we saw kind of an effort to bring a similar law to Texas that obviously failed but it was once again Dan Patrick who brought it up and it failed but only after kind of consuming the state politics for for a very long period of time and, and you uh-huh. know, basically uh, leaning to kind of open political warfare between the the uh, House Speaker at the time, Joe Strauss and, and Dan Patrick. So, um, you know, I, I I think a lot of us who have who kind of lived through that fight uh, back in 2017 kind of saw this email and thought, OK, oh, boy, here we go again. Are we going to see another kind of similar big kind of all-consuming fight in the legislature uh, six years later, I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, you know, one of the things about this law, Brian, that I, I've been kind of watching with interest, the, the argument just about the merits of the law and the content of the law, you know, conservatives, Uh, take a lot of issue with the the term don't say gay as as the as kind of describing the law and and in some ways i think they are they're accurate about that you know the law does not specifically ban you know the word gay or 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 even necessarily speaking about uh you know gay people uh explicitly it's it's somewhat vague right it talks about like as you mentioned k through three you can't, you know, really go deep into humans. You can't really go into human sexual sexuality. And then for the ages older than that, it has to be age appropriate without much of a definition of what age appropriate is. The, I think one thing that people point to is the enforcement mechanism, which, you know, kind of goes back to Texas is it empowers parents to file lawsuits against their school districts for, um, for you know, violating the law, and and one big piece of that, much like how the Texas uh, abortion law is enforced, uh, is that if you sue as a parent and are successful, you can you know reap financial rewards and also require the school district to pay your legal fees for okay. bringing the suit forward. But if you lose the lawsuit, the school district does not have the power. To recoup its legal fees from right. you, and so I think one of the big concerns here is is what kind of chilling effect does this have beyond the letter of the law, right? Um, oh. Will schools or teachers be nervous about bringing up anything because they don't want to kind of piss off a parent? And even if they end up winning the suit, even if they you know successfully bat it down in court, there's an expense you know both in uh, uh, district it, time and energy, and also just the cost of lawyers to kind of fight back that lawsuit and what kind of a broader chilling effect will that have? What kind of, what are you hearing from educators about this? I mean, is, is that a fear they have in Texas as well?
3: For sure. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, if we're trying to mimic this law, I think that's one of the uh, the points that I think politicians will we we'll try to insert in here much like, you know, the Senate bill eight, the, the abortion mm-hmm. law, right. Where, you know, they're not the, the, the enforcers of this. And it gives a lot of leeway for parents, you know, that might not like something that might not like some, something a teacher said, like you said, go ahead and say, Hey, I don't like this. What are you going to do about this? If you're not doing any about this, we're going to sue you and, and we're going to try to get money for this. Right. So it it's, it's, Similar to what we've been seeing with, like, these books, uh, materials mm-hmm. that teachers have been presenting in class here in Texas, um, you know, where teachers are, are getting in trouble my, by parents when, uh, you know, a kid brings a book back that they don't like, they, they take it up with the school board, you know, that school board takes it down. Um, so it's, it's seeming like it's more of the same right here going forward. Um, and we're just, um, we're adding more, uh, I guess, um more uh, constraints or more more piling on to what teachers are already kind of uh, having to do, um, having to do and, and things that they're having to fear and pressures that, that they're having to deal with, right? Um, like you said, not all the other trying to, you know, uh, try to get uh, uh, kids back to the level they were before the pandemic began, but now they might have, they're dealing with this critical race theory stuff and now they might be dealing with, a a bill that will you know maybe stifle these conversations and and not only stifle them but um in a way you know it's all very subjective um you know what a parent believes uh, their children should be hearing or not um and it's going to bring a lot of you know confusion we saw that with you know the vagueness of the critical race theory law here you know they really didn't know how to implement this they didn't know you know what should they be reporting? What they shouldn't be reporting? Um, and we saw, you know, with that North Texas administrator saying, you know, uh, we need to ev- uh, we need to provide an opposing view on the Holocaust, and that's totally not. Everybody's like, even the Republican Party was like, that's not what we're saying with the bill. But at the same time, you're making a bill so vague, and you're not providing specific guidelines as to how this should be followed or implemented, where it allows opportunities for you know these kinds of Uh, things to happen um and you know that's what educators are with a bit like this you know not only um is there you know potential harm to lgbt kids and their families uh but also exactly what can you mention in class you know what can you put up in your in your classroom right um i don't know if you guys had seen that texas uh that mbc uh Mm -hmm. investigation to texas you know uh, and Irving, I think, you know, she had some like, uh, LGBTQ stickers and, and, you know, she was getting a lot of backlash for that. So, um, you know, all these kind of things will, will be at the center of, of, of this law, if it truly does, uh, um, come into fruitation here in Texas.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, I feel like I have like just a certain amount of whiplash here over the, um, attitudes you know political attitudes towards just uh, lgbt people overall right like you know it wasn't that long ago 2008 when barack obama was running running for president and was you know openly opposed to gay marriage you mm-hmm. know that changed so quickly the the public opinion changed so quickly we of course had obergefell the uh, you know, Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage and, you know, you quickly found, you know, polls being like broadly supportive of that Mm -hmm. nationwide. And it seemed like there had been so much progress and just that this issue of kind of gay rights as a wedge issue, like so quickly disappearing, you know, even when Trump, Donald Trump, was running in 2016. Um, there were a lot of concerns, of course, about the things he was saying and the divisions he was stoking. You know, gay rights was not one that he was paying a lot of attention to. And then here we are now again in 2022. And it just feels like that pendulum has swung back so far again, you know, and now we're just seeing you know, largely around schools, largely around kids, but we're just seeing so much of this being such a wedge issue that Republicans are hitting so hard in so many different ways. Right. It really is just kind of striking and how that has
3: happened. Yeah. And I, I think it stems from, you know, this critical race theory issue. If we look back at it, you know, when, um you know, Donald Trump first says that, you know, critical race theory is like a bad thing. And, and um, he doesn't want that in white house trainings and and federal trainings and things like that, you know, uh, then you stem that off into, you know, these governors and, and, you know, they, they pass these laws and, and just like, it's one thing to the next, right. We start with critical race theory. And then that turns into like the books that we're, that we're reading in, in, in classrooms. And what do we find about these books? Some of them have, you know, content for lgbt kids and families and you know that becomes a a you know like you said like an issue for for parents and something that you know politicians can kind of grab onto and say you know this we're going to take this up because um this is going to bring us the votes we need right um i think that's something that you know uh political experts have told me with you know governor abbott's parental bill of rights um you know when he's kind of showing off that um he passed the critical race theory law i mean that those are just you know he's heading into his race those are issues that you know right conservative parents right now are, are caring about and and are are rallying around right
1: yeah yeah you know and and there's this this idea of indoctrination right and that touches mm-hmm. crt that touches what's in the books and that really touches on this don't say gay law as well you know or or what they are called you know i i, I want to not call it that because right. i do you know <laughs> but um But this bill from Florida that people are so upset about is, you know, the, this concern that, you know, we're exposing children to sexual content or sexual issues that they're too young and not ready to handle. But what about a, you know, gay teacher talking about what he did over the weekend with his husband or whatever? How is that any different than what a, you know, a, a straight teacher might do? Uh, talking about his wife or, or or her husband or anything like that, you know, it's it, there, there's a, a fine line here. I want to touch, go back quickly though on the enforcement mechanism thing, James. This was something that you wrote about when uh, when the SB eight ruling came down, of course, and uh, there were a lot of concerns, you know, not just about the state abortion law, you know, restricting abortion rights, but also just this practice of kind of targeting, you know, rights that are might otherwise be protected by the courts by empowering not the government to take action but by citizens to take action and there were concerns about how this might also be used and we look over in the direction of florida it's not just florida we saw idaho pass a similar abortion law but in florida you have this don't say gay bill that uses i keep saying it this bill um, that uses uh that similar enforcement mechanism there was also a law that passed in florida recently about Um, workplace diversity training and whether you should be exposed if your employer your private employer is exposing you to content required content that makes white people feel as though they are you know bad for being white or or you know somehow inferior that you could bring a lawsuit against your employer in that way and we're starting to see it James this kind of trickle This this people looking at that in Texas, Texas SBA enforcement mechanism and see, you know, how else might we be able to use this to um, to pass new laws kind of on on non abortion topics. It's 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 something that, you know, I think you wrote about of people being worried about uh, when this came about.
2: Yeah, I mean, the reality is uh, it's it's difficult to sort of talk about because we're living in very tribal times um and that is essentially what's happening if you if you are in power and you want to do away with critics or you want to do away with people who do not look like you are not like you do not think like you this is what we've resorted to uh writing these vague laws that uh, you know as brian pointed out with crt it's very hard to even Uh, figure out what they're actually trying to say, because they're sort of trying not to say the quiet part out loud. Um, But even beyond that, you move to um, the enforcement mechanism, uh, which allows any private citizen to file this lawsuit. And it's just another, you know, um, I think, you know, Supreme Court Justice Kagan called them some genius uh, came up with an idea uh that had never been found in the history of you know our two hundred plus years' history as a nation. obviously she said that sort of facetiously because you know probably there was some knucklehead who did try to do it, but there is this idea of restraint in policy making and in sort of legal thought of just because you, well not in legal thought but in just policy making that just because you can do something. Um, and there aren't any rules against it, doesn't mean that you should do it because you go down, you start going down a slippery slope. Um, and in Texas over the last couple of years, we've seen ourselves going down that slippery slope. Um, with the enforcement mechanism and the abortion law, now you see California trying to use that same enforcement mechanism. You see New York trying to use that same enforcement mechanism um, to limit the rights of people to uh, own and have guns um and it, it is just that well if you're going to do it in texas well we're going to go do it in blue states and it just because it, it, it takes us down the slippery slope um that is not a fun place to be on and i say restraint because that, that used to be on the policy making side where you would have that restraint because you know that you're going down a bad road that's going to you know incur lots of legal fees um and honestly a lot of pain on a lot of people that could uh, you know be be avoided if we just left that slack in the system, which the founders of the constitution wanted to have slack in the system because I think the founders believe that, you know, adults should be left to make their own decisions. Uh, but now we're trying to legislate what, you know, adults should be doing and, you know, how adults should be um, behaving and uh, raising their kids. And so that has been lost. And uh, to the legal side, you know, the Supreme Court has allowed that. You know, the United States Supreme Court allowed uh, this enforcement mechanism uh, to continue, even though it was challenged, um, and so this is sort of where we are. Everybody is following their sort of tribal thoughts, and um, and this is sort of where we are. And I I don't expect that to go in any different direction anytime soon, just because um, that's where our politics is right now and I would expect that we're going to have a lot more of these hot button issues uh, with sort of vague ideas of what we're sort of trying to tackle um, and very hard way or very difficult and what and things that make it in the laws very difficult for anybody to get around them
1: all so, right well I think that's all the time we have for today we'll end it on uh, James's high note there um, <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors, the Permian Basin Petroleum Association, Texas State Technical College, Lone Star College, and the Texas Association of School Business Officials. Thank you to James and Brian. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week.